Good evening, everybody. Now, this is going to be uh, this is going to be good tonight. This is my favorite one. Now, I like everything I do, but this is my favorite one tonight. Uh, most everything I'm going to teach tonight is coming out of this seminar called Biblical Parenting 101. Uh, it was when we were at Grace uh, uh, staff there for 10 years that we started teaching a parenting class because of all the challenges we noticed we were finding. So we started this in uh, eight and a half years. Uh, we covered 384 subjects. So uh, when God called us out to start traveling, the challenge was to get those 384 subjects into a weekend seminar. I thought, how are we going to do that? And so I found a great scripture that we're basing everything on tonight, Luke 2, verse 52, and said, And the child Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and favor with man. And so all 384 classes fit into one of those four categories, and we're going to show you that here in a minute. So this is that seminar right here. There's a, sort of a follow-up I did for the seniors at Old Roberts University years ago. Uh, Dr. Hand called me in and said, Would you come up and do four classes for us? And I said, Sure. And so uh, my oldest daughter uh, was getting married, and I'd taken her through um, six months of pre-marriage counseling with her and my son-in-law before they got married. Now, when I say six months, they just saw me once a month uh, for a four-hour evening. I had them read six books, take a test. <laughs> and uh, it's a 39-page questionnaire. I got it from a friend of mine in Kentucky, and uh, it pretty much asked everything, uh, you know, how old are you? What's your real hair color? What's your real weight? You know, what color are your eyes truly? You know, have you ever had sex with anyone? You know, it's very graphic, very detailed. It's 39 pages. And I give it to both of them. I said, now, you're not going to give it to me. I'm not marrying you. Uh, you're marrying each other. I want you to take this, look at this, fill it out, and you're going to hand it to each other and read it. Now, I understand that your past is under the blood of Jesus. There is no record of your past in heaven. You've been forgiven. It's been redeemed. There's no record of it. God's not going to remind you of it. But the devil's a thief, a liar, and a murderer. And at some point in your life, he's going to drag this up. I said, you don't have to fill out a single item on this 39-page questionnaire. It won't bother me a bit. I'm going to marry you. But when you hand it to your future spouse, they're going to wonder why you didn't fill it out. Okay? And, there's, and that doesn't bother me either. Uh, because if they can't marry you for base what they're going to do in the future, they don't have a time machine. They can't change your past either. I'm just trying to make you aware of, make sure you're standing right before God, that if somebody does bring up your past and accuse you, you can say, did you do that? Yes, I did. I was born a doofus. <laughs> I did a lot of doofus stuff. But I have been born again, bought by the blood of the Lamb. I've repented of that, and it's under the blood, and there's no record of it in heaven. So you can bring it up all you want. It doesn't bother me when I owe up. The Apostle Paul was a murderer before he became a preacher. So his full-time job was murdering believers. So uh, God uses very unique people. But anyhow, uh, I was coming to the sixth night, and uh, I'd been home uh, doing some stuff on some property I owned, cutting some trees and brush hogging. And, and so I was kind of tired, and I went in, and the last session was on sex. And I thought, well, this is real important. i got to teach you about sex. And so I was driving in, and I got to thinking, you know, they're going to figure it out. Adam and Eve didn't go to a sex seminar. I mean, really, they just kind of figured it out, don't you think? God said, there you go, figure it out, you know. And they did, evidently, you know. And so uh, and I got there, and I said, listen, guys, um, I, I love my daughter. She's my oldest one, Sarah. And uh, I said, but I've overdone this because I teach on family. I have, I have overkilled this thing. I've told you too much. And I told Ryan, Ryan, I really admire you more than ever because I know my daughter has prepped you for this, and you've said all the right things. 
you know, <laughs> underline all the right words. And I appreciate your homework, but uh, I've told you too much. You're not going to, I don't even remember everything I told you, and I'm the guy that told you. So what we're going to do, and I took out a three by five card, and I said, I'm going to give you eight things I want you to remember. Now, I was going to give them four, but the more I thought, I was sitting, I got to eight. And I said, I want you to remember these eight things. If you'll do these eight things in your life, your life's going to go pretty good about 95% of the time. The other 5% is going to be demonic. You're going to have to plead the blood, bind the devil, and speak the word of God. But for the 95, and so that's this seminar here, it came out of those eight things, and I eventually taught, taught several seminars on it. Now it's, our, it's the seminar I teach when I teach businessmen. This is it. And the eight things basically were sort of carnals. Number one, you need to leave home with a strong sense of self-worth. Yeah. The Bible gives a command, second great commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. If you don't love you, your wife and your neighbor's in trouble. And one of the most important things you got to do as a parent is make sure when your child leaves home, they know that God loves them unconditionally. I am accepted in the beloved, warts and all. God loves me just like I am. I don't earn it. It's who he is, not what he does. God loves me. And so you leave home with a strong sense of self-worth, you're going somewhere. Because you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You are accepted in the beloved. The second thing you need to leave home with is a vision. Once you leave home feeling good, where are you going? Because so there's no vision, the people perish. So I think by the time you're 18, you all have some idea what you want to do in life. Somebody should have told you, and we're going to go through some of that tonight. Now, after that is a love of math. You need to have a love of math. Now, you don't need to be great at math, but you better know about it because God is big on math. I mean, everything in the Bible has got numbers, twos, fours, six, sevens, eights, five. God did everything by math. When God did a miracle, he counted how much he did, how many he did it with, and what he took up left over. God has the hairs of our head numbered. The days of our life are numbered. God is huge on numbering. There are accounting angels. I will give an account of every idle word, every idle thought, every idle deed. My life right now is being recorded in heaven. I'm trying to lay up treasures in heaven about what I do, what I think. That's why I says I'll give an account of every idle thought. You know, so I want to make sure I'm thinking right. So I, I love that. So you need to be a good accountant because uh, when you're going to get increase in your life, you got to put order to it first. Order always precedes increase. Before Jesus fed 5,000, he set them down in groups of 50. Before Noah built a boat, he had to get so much wood so long of a certain type, all the pitch. Every miracle in the Bible was preceded by order. So I'll just go ahead and give you this. We'll talk about this tomorrow night. 97% of all American families, according to the U.S. Census, have no working budget. We don't know how much we owe, how much we own, how much we earn, or where it goes. If I'm not stewarding what I have, God will not give me more. God is a God of stewardship. What I steward, I get more of. So we, we just went through, we just did some things, and then we talked about, you know, character. And, and this, so it's just, so this is just a great basic seminar, not only for kids, but for adults. And then this one is uh, the finest seminar I've ever done and my worst selling. <laughs> I thought this was my best seller, but we hired a company like this. doesn't sell at all, hardly. It is my favorite seminar. It says, Got Friends. Um, uh, the devil, if he's going to try to take my children out, he's going to do so through their social life. He's not going to show up with horns and a pitchfork, puking green stuff with an eyeball hanging out. If the devil's going to try to take my children out, he's going to show up looking good, talking good, and smelling good. <laughs> you understand? He knows how to do it. And so you've got to teach your children who a real friend is. 
And you got to start by being one before you're going to have one. Because great friends will save your life. As iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. So we're going to basically cover these. So Luke 2.52, we'll just jump into this. I'm going to give you this and then uh, I call this having children and staying sane. <laughs> and having babies is one thing. And, you know, once you get them, you can't take them back and exchange them. You're, you're stuck with them. They're yours. So uh, Luke 2.52, I'm going to give you the first. We'll just major on this. I'm going to give you some something. Uh, Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. Well, if Jesus grew in wisdom, evidently I need to grow in wisdom. Now, we've got a lot of scriptures, but for the sake of time, I'm just sort of going to quote them. Now, you can download this again off my website for free. or just read it in your Bible. Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, why is wisdom important? Well, wisdom is the principal thing, Proverbs 4, 7 says. Therefore, get yourself some. James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it liberally, and upbraideth not. You want to be wise? Walk with wise men. God gives us a half a dozen ways to get wisdom. Said so Jesus grew in wisdom. I need my children to grow in wisdom. If my children don't grow in wisdom, I'm going to have a major challenge. I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 1. I'll show you something here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Four kinds of people mentioned in the Bible. Four. Uh, I'm going to jump in at verse 20. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's going to read a little different. I like this. Proverbs 1.20. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. What's wisdom saying? How long will you simple-minded insist on being simple-minded? How long will you scorners relish in your scorning? Or King James says mockers. And then how long will you fools hate knowledge? Come, listen to my counsel, and I will share my heart with you and make you wise. Four kinds of kids, wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. Proverbs is loaded with all four. I want a wise child. I don't want a simple child. I don't want a foolish child. And I certainly don't want a scornful child. He goes and says, I called you often. This is wisdom talking. But you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice. You rejected the correction that I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When you cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me, for they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice, paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. For simple-minded turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled from fear of harm. And that's just a great passage. Now, uh, I'm going to try to do this justice here, and I'm going to hold this up. This is um, switching download off my website. These are the four words, why simple, foolish, and scornful. And so I've just got a few I want to highlight because I'm going to try to make an impression. i got six kids, and I love my kids, uh, but I want wise ones. I need you to be wise. But I realized something when I was yelling at them one day. Denise said, I told Denise, I said, what's wrong with my kids? She said, go look in the mirror. They're just like you. <laughs> they overreact like you. They get out of shape like you. They're just like you. You've reproduced yourself, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. <laughs> so I realized, oh, help me, Jesus. I'm going to have to work on that. But... 
I'll just give you this. Now, I'm just doing just, just a short version. This is a short version. So these are the traits of wise children. Proverbs 1.5, a wise child will increase learning. They don't hate knowledge. They love it. They want to learn something. Proverbs 3.35, they will inherit glory. Uh, Proverbs 9.8, they love those that rebuke them. You know, if I'm doing stupid, love me enough to tell me. Don't let me stay stupid. If you love me, tell me the truth. I like this in Proverbs 10.1, they make a father glad. Proverbs 10.19, they refrain their lips. They're not gum flappers, slow to speak, quick to hear. Oh, my goodness, that's a good thing to teach them. <laughs> Proverbs 11.30, they win souls. Oh, my. Proverbs 12.18, their tongue is health. Proverbs 13.1, they hear their father's instruction. Proverbs 14.3, their lips will preserve them. Proverbs 14.16, they will depart from evil. Proverbs 14.24, their crown is their riches. Proverbs 14.35, they have the favor of the king. Bosses like them. Why? They do wise. Proverbs 15.7, their lips disperse knowledge. Proverbs 16.14, they can pacify the wrath of a king. They know how to solve problems. What do you do? I can bring peace where hell has erupted. I have that about me. Proverbs 16.23, they're prudent. Proverbs 17.2, they rule over their own son. Proverbs 18.15, their ear seeks knowledge. Proverbs 20, verse 1, they are not deceived by wine or strong drink. Proverbs 24.23, they are not a respecter of persons in judgment. Proverbs 29.8, they can turn away wrath. And Proverbs 29.11, they can control their tongue. Now, it's just loaded. It's like, what do you want? I want something like that. I want my kids to do that. Man, that's going to bring me some happiness. I like that right there. If they're not wise, they go to stage two. It's wise, simple, fool, scorner. Four steps into hell. So here's, here's the second one. If my children aren't wise, they're simple-minded. Now, I'm going to give you just the Webster on this. Simple-minded, gullible, easily, easily deceived. They can't see problems coming. They're not evil. They're not mean. They're not rude. They're just not wise. I used to have kids come to my office all the time crying because they know they're in trouble. They've been sent to my office. I said, what happened? I don't know what I did. I said, well, you're not wise. Simple-minded. So kids that would come to my office, of course, teachers have sent them to me because in Oklahoma, we still are allowed, five states are left that can do this, I'm still allowed to switch, swap, paddle, and spank. It's legal in my state. So if you come see me, I'm going to light you up like the 4th of July. <laughs> Your parents have signed a permission, and it's legal in my state. I have two paddles hanging on my wall, a very big one and a very small one based on your stature. <laughs> now, here's the deal I always did that would frustrate my teachers. Teachers would get mad. They tried to control a child. They weren't able to find it. Go to see the principal. Go to the principal's office. Well, they know what that means. It can't be good. So every time a kid would get sent the first time, they come to my office and say, what'd you do? You know, and they're telling. Sometimes they're crying. Sometimes they're just mad. I said, well, I said, would you like to have a Pepsi and a chocolate donut? What? Yeah, we got chocolate donuts back here in the kitchen. Want a chocolate donut? I love them. And we got some cold Pepsi. Let me get you a donut and a Pepsi. Well, number one, it starts messing with them. What kind of wacky guy are you? <laughs> I give them a donut and a Pepsi. And then I've got a picture of me when I was in the first grade. Now, they had not invented kindergarten yet when I was in the first grade. So we're all in the first grade in Miss Morgan's class, Hickson Elementary, Hickson, Tennessee. There's 32 of us in that class. All the boys had bird haircuts. It'd be just like we're in the Army. All the little girls were wearing dresses back then. We're standing in a black and white picture with Miss Morgan on one side, our principal, Mr. Stevens, on the other. I have a $5 bill taped to that picture. It's framed right next to my desk. 
So while they're chewing on their donut and their Pepsi, thinking, when's he going to kill me? I said, hey, look here. See that? That's me when I was in the first grade. If you can pick me out of that picture, I'll give you that $5 bill. Now, teachers accused me of gambling in the Christian school. I said, it wasn't gambling because nobody ever won it. Because I was hard to pick out. And so we'd do that, and then we'd kind of just joke around, and they'd eat their donut and drink their Pepsi. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You come to see me because I'm assuming you didn't understand what the teacher told you. You're just not wise. You're not mean. You're not a fool. You're not a scorner. You're here because, bless your heart, you evidently just didn't understand what it was she wanted out of you. Okay? So I hope you enjoyed your donut and the Pepsi and trying to guess who I am because I really like you a lot. So I want you to go back to class, okay? Now let me explain something before you leave. The second time you come, you are no longer uh, a simple-minded. You, you're, you're going to the stage of a fool because you know what to do now because your teacher told you, I've told you the mouth of two witnesses. So if you come another time, you're making a game out of getting in trouble, and that's when I'm going to light you up like the 4th of July. There'll be no donut, there'll be no, no Pepsi, no guest at the $5 via. Don't come back to my office unless I invite you. And some did. Some would show back up. No donut, <laughs> bend over, you know. And so what you're trying to do is realize there's, each level has different consequences to it, you know. And so here's the one, uh, simple-minded, I like this. Simple-minded, these aren't evil, they're just not wise. Simple-minded, Proverbs 10, 7, the law makes them wise. What's the problem with simple-minded? Do you not understand the rules? I ask you to be in by 11, you know, not speed down the highway. You know, this, we're rules. That we make rules on purpose. We're trying to protect you, not make your life miserable. Psalm uh, 119, verse 130, the entrance of God's word gives light. He gives wisdom to the simple. What's the matter with the simple? They don't have the word of God. They don't have any wisdom. You, got, you have no word in you. You're, you're empty-headed. You're just empty. Proverbs 122, simple-minded people love being simple. There's no pressure on them. Uh, Proverbs 7, verse 7, they're void of understanding. Proverbs 8, 5, they need wisdom. Proverbs 9, 13, they are clamorous and know nothing. Proverbs 14, 15, they believe, they believe every word they hear. They're the kind of kid even in high school. Someone says, hey, psst, cheer this. Says, no, you're kidding. Like they just heard the gospel truth from God Almighty. They have no wisdom to filter out what they hear. So everything's true. They're gullible. They're not evil. They're just gullible. Uh, Proverbs 14, 18, they inherit folly. Proverbs 21, 11, they become wise when scorners are punished. You know what shakes up a simple-minded kid? Another kid getting in trouble. Whoa, that's, oh, you better not do that. You know, <laughs> like, I love that. Uh, Proverbs 27, 12, they won't hide from evil, therefore they are punished. And Romans uh, 16, 18, they are deceived by good words and vain speeches. If you don't get the word of God in you, everything you hear, you're going to think it's the gospel truth. Well, it's not the truth. It's got to be based on the word of God. But if you don't know the word of God, you have nothing to base it on. You'll just have to take it. I guess that's true. They said it was. No, it's not. Now, here's the big one. I'll just go ahead and show you. There's two pages of a fool. There's a lot of scriptures on a fool. <laughs> I'm just going to give you part of the first page. A fool. They have no reverence for God. They enjoy mischief. And they are grief to their parents. They give false reports. They hurt other people on purpose. They don't respect their parents, nor do they listen to instructions. That's a summary. Now, here's the scripture. Proverbs 1, 7, this is a fool. They despise wisdom and instruction. I don't have to do what they say. I don't have to do, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. What is that? That's that rebellion you were born with. 
It's not good. It's going to mess with you. Proverbs 1.22, they hate knowledge. Proverbs 1.32, their prosperity will destroy them. A fool will never get rich. He'll self-destruct every time. Before he can ever get wealthy, he will self-destruct. God said so. Proverbs 3.35, shame will be their promotion. Proverbs 10.21, they will die for a want of wisdom. Proverbs 13.20, their companions will be destroyed. You do not want a fool for a friend. They'll get you killed. Dude, that's good. They mock sin, Proverbs 14.9. Proverbs 15.2, their mouth pours out foolishness. Proverbs 15.14, their mouth feeds on foolishness. Proverbs 10.1, they are the weariness of their mother. Proverbs 15.20, they despise their mother. Proverbs 17.25, they are grief to their father and bitterness to their mother. Proverbs 19.13, they are the calamity of their father. Proverbs 29.9, they give no rest to those that contend with them. And Proverbs 14.1 or Psalms 14.1, they say there's no God. Now, if you, I'll just tell you right now, the greatest thing I could ever do for you, you can go to my website and download these, or you can just get your own Bible for 31 days, underline all the scriptures, take one chapter a day, underline. Wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. It will go into you like concrete. And you're, what do you want? You're going to be wise. I will not raise a simple-minded kid. I will not raise a fool. So that's why twice a day, there's a reason. I don't do it to be holy. Twice a day, I pray Psalm 3411 over my children. It says, come to me, you children, and I will teach you the fear of God. What's God want to do? Teach them to fear him. So, Father, I thank you for teaching my children to fear you. Because the fear of God, Proverbs 9, verse 10, is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 1, 7 is the beginning of knowledge. I don't want ignorant, unwise children. So how do you, get, how do you start it? Teach my children to fear you. I plead the blood of Jesus over their mind and conscience, purge up and dead works. Teach my children to fear you. Well, if you go to the stage of fool and make a game out of getting in trouble, you're going to go to the last stage now. <laughs> now, scorner, scorner. Hmm, this is a good one. Let's just read it. Let's get the ugly over with. Scorners hate those that love them. They will not listen to counsel. They poison a group. They cause strife. They're difficult to live with. And they love wrongdoing. They're crafty. They know how to get in trouble and not get caught, but they get everybody around them in trouble. Now watch this. Proverbs 1.22. They delight in their scorning. Mm. Proverbs 3.34. God will scorn the scorners. You reap what you sow. Well, that's bad. Proverbs 9.8. Reprove one and they will hate you. They don't appreciate being corrected. They're going to yell back at you. Proverbs 13.1. They will not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 14, 6, they seek wisdom, but they can't find it. Proverbs 15, 12, they do not love those that reprove them. Smite one, Proverbs 19, 25, and the simple will beware. Proverbs 19, 29, judgments are prepared for their backs. Oh, my goodness, that's standing Proverbs 21, 24, they deal in proud wrath. Proverbs 22, 10, cast out a scorner. Strife and contention will cease. And Proverbs 29, 8, they have the ability to bring an entire city into a snare. Or, I said it this way, they have the ability to get everybody around them in trouble except themselves. So when I was a school administrator, I expelled seven kids in ten years. Everyone I expelled, I classified as a scorner and told their parents so. I've tried to work with this child. They've been sent to my office. They've gotten in trouble. They have a, I tell kids when they come to school every year, you have a lot of enemies. I'm not one of them. Next to God, I'm the biggest blessing in your life. I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down in your chimney. <laughs> if you come to my office, it wasn't because I was looking for you. You got sent. Don't come. This is not a social club down here. 
But I remember one time uh, I had a great history teacher, and uh, Sunday night in his family went out to eat, went to a great Mexican restaurant, and uh, he got a bad burrito. And so uh, some of my kids, junior high kids, came in early in the morning because the parents went to work early, dropped them off, and there were, there were eight of them. And they went up and they saran wrapped the bottom of the toilet seat lids in the men's restroom upstairs. You know, clear saran wrap. Well, my history teacher hit the door running that morning because he was about to have himself an accident. And so he ran in that bathroom, you know, of course there's no lid, it's just the, you know, horseshoe thing. Dropped his britches, sat down, and messed himself up severely. Because stuff didn't go in the toilet, buddy. It went sideways and up. Well... You know, he comes down to my office smelling and, I'm <laughs> Lord, this would have made a great video. And he was furious. You know, I said, I'll take care of it. So he had to go home and change his clothes. Had to get the janitor to clean up the bathroom. So I'm looking for the saran wrap guy. So I called down to the homeroom that morning. I said, I, I'm, there's two classes. I said, I need to know who was not in your class when the bell rang this morning. So I got eight names. And I said, send them down here. So all eight of them came to my office. They're sitting there, and they're just standing in front of them. I brought them in there. They're just standing side by side. Okay, gentlemen, do you know why you're here? Of course, they're half snicking. <laughs> no, no. I said, well, our history teacher had a severe accident this morning. Because of, <laughs> you know. I said, now, one of you did it because you weren't where you were supposed to be. Which one of you did it? Not me, Mr. Gee, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it either. I wasn't me. I didn't do it. No one of you did it. I said, now listen, the Bible says that one out of four people is a scorner. Yes, they are. And the Bible says one out of four is a fool. And the Bible says a fool will empty his whole brain on the table. He's like a dog that will puke his guts up and eat it again. So I'm going to base that there's eight. There's at least two of you here that's going to gum flap me before this day's over. So I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to stand here in my office all day long. You're not going to place. And you're going to stay here until school is out at 2.30. If you don't tell me who did it at 2.30, I'm going to suspend all three of you going home. All of you going home for three days, getting zeros in all your work. Well, that's not right. Shut your face up. <laughs> I'm the principal. You weren't where you were supposed to be. One of you did it, and somebody's going to tell me who. Now, I know we got stories about being a snitch and all that. Doesn't matter to me. So I just went to work, and, you know, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, you know, about an hour and a half went by. I'm making and answering phone calls. The secretary's coming in, doors open. They're just standing there kind of shifting back and forth. Y'all stand still. I'm trying to work. <laughs> so finally, a kid broke. It wasn't me now. I'm telling you. And so one of his, you better shut up. Well, I didn't do it because I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. And so they, they were, actually, there weren't eight. There were seven. And so finally spoke up, told me who it was. Well, the kid that did it wasn't in there. He, he'd snuck into the class. He was up there safe. I said, you sure it's him? Oh, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So we went to his locker, opened it up, and sure enough, there was the saran wrap. So I went and called his mother. I said, ma'am, are you missing any saran wrap in your kitchen this morning? She said, matter of fact, I am. I couldn't pack my husband's lunch. I said, well, I have it down here at the school, and I need you to come get it. And, and while you're down here, I need you to take your son home. And, of course, we, we suspended him for three days and got zeros. Now, the point of that is God's word works every time without exception and there are four kinds of kids and there's times where even as adults you and i will vacillate between those four if i'm not wise i'm one of the other three 
And based on the list, somebody besides me could tell me which one I am. And you don't want to stay there because nothing good happens to the other three. Good only happens to the wise. So we got to make sure. So every day it's just real important. Father, I ask you for liberal wisdom day, for practical, successful daily living. Teach me and my family to fear you, for the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom in Jesus' name. So it is one of the daily prayers I pound them because if I'm not staying wise, I'm going three directions I don't want to go. So anyhow, it says Jesus grew in wisdom. So if Jesus grew in wisdom, I want to grow in wisdom. So I'm going to give it this way, and you can look up all the words. Just take my word for it right now. The word wisdom means, actually, if you look it up, it means to have a vision. It's somebody who knows something. Now, Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, I believe he had a vision for his life. Jesus, if you read the Scripture, Jesus knew where he came from. He said, I laid down my glory in heaven, took on the body of a man. Jesus knew why he was here. When mom and dad lost him for three days on that caravan when he was a 12-year-old, and they couldn't find him, they found him down there in the temple. Mary's mad. Where have you been? We've been leaving for three days. Jesus answered in the King James and said, No, ye not. I need to be about my father's business. Jesus knew where he came from. Jesus knew why he was here. And the Bible says Jesus endured the cross for the joy sitting in front of him. He knew where he was going. People who have a vision know who they are, where they came from, where they're at, and where they're going. Because if you don't, you don't have that vision, you're a grappy individual. You're blaming everybody else for things not going well in your life. God had a plan for my life before I was born. We read it last night in the finance book, Psalms 139. All the days of my life were recorded in heaven before my mother met my father. God has great plans for me. He has no plans to harm me, Jeremiah 29. He's got plans to prosper me, give me a future and a hope. But if I'm not seeking God, I won't find that. I need to be wise and seek the will of God for my life. And so it starts in childhood. And I tell my kids, if you're not wise, now I'm not just going to suspend you and ground you and spank you. You're going to be incredibly embarrassed. You're going to be the ones they talk about at high school reunions every five years. <laughs> what you think's funny now is just incredibly stupid. Stealing stop signs isn't cool. It's just an ignorant, idiot, five-year-old thing to do. Somebody might get killed for doing that because they not, might, might not be familiar with the road and run a stop sign and get broadsided, and them and their family get killed because you had to steal a stop sign. Does that make you a real man? You stole a stop sign? You know, I mean, I kind of laughed about it, and I told it, I think, Saturday, but, you know, that's what we did as kids. We're always, if you don't know who you are, especially a male, you're looking for honor. Your number one need is honor. All men need honor. All women need security. Women look for security. Men need honor. Honor's in my past. Security's in your future. That's why women want to know how much you're going to make. They don't care how much you made yesterday. They want to know how you're going to put brace on the kids' crooked teeth. They don't care what you did yesterday. They're talking about the future. That's why most marital conflict comes from we can't seem to get an agreement on anything. That's because a man's honor is in his past. He has no honor in his future. He's not been there yet. But if he knows who he is in Christ, he knows God's going to order his steps, direct his past, talk to him when he goes to sleep, when he wakes up. I might not have been there, but God's going to show me where to go. But if you grew up a non-believer, you one messed up male, I guarantee you it's just hard to do. So the wisdom thing is just real important. I need wisdom. Now, uh, time. I'll just quote this. You, I'm not going to go there. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 11 through 16. Um, mm, 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 mm. This is Lucifer. When Lucifer was Lucifer before he was the devil, the anointed cherub that covereth, the kumbaya angel, the pumbaya of heaven, so when he was made, he was gifted with four gifts. He was, Lucifer was full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, in charge of wealth, and in charge of music. Those were his gifts. 
Bible says in Romans that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Once you're gifted, God doesn't take it away. When Lucifer got fired from his job and kicked out of heaven, he kept his gifts. So that's what he uses against mankind. What the gifts he used to have that he used to serve Christ, the second member of the Godhead that he was over, Michael served the Father, Gabriel served the Holy Ghost, Lucifer served Christ. Got that? So all of a sudden, the gifts he was given to serve Christ, he now used to, to pervert mankind. So Lucifer's full of wisdom. So when he came to earth, he messes with man, not to make them wise or smart, but to make them a smart aleck. Almost all humor in our country and in the world is a cutting kind of humor. It's cutting somebody else. It's, it's attacking somebody else. It's ridiculing somebody. If I can't lift myself up, I'll lift me up by putting you down. And so kids learn it early. They'll make fun of other kids, make fun of other things. Why? Because they feel incredibly stupid about themselves. So their mouth's running all the time to cut other people down because they have no stature in their own soul. So full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. The second thing that Lucifer does, we're all concerned with our looks. You know, do I look good? You know, how do I look? There are mirrors everywhere. You know, when I was a kid, we all wanted to look like Elvis. Elvis was Jesus. He was Elvis. We put bear grease in our hair, you know, and curl cigarettes up in our sleeve. Even if we didn't smoke, curl our lips. Hey, 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 how you doing? Hey. Because if you don't know who you are, you'll hang a poster of somebody else on your bedroom wall. What are you trying to do? Be somebody you're not. I used to tell my kids, get Michael Jordan off the wall. I love Michael Jordan. I love to watch him, man. He could fly through the air like an angel. I said, you're not Michael Jordan. Quit acting like it. My little old white basketball boys would put a little trampoline on the floor. <laughs> on a slick gym floor. Come running and hit that little old woman's trampoline. Bing! And try to act like You're going to break your neck trying to act like something you're never going to be. Get that thing off the floor. I made them run laps forever. <laughs> Everybody's consumed with their looks. You ever notice that? White people trying to look black, tan themselves till they glow in the dark. Black people trying to look white. Tall people want to be short. Short people want to be tall. Fat people want to be skinny. Skinny people want to be fat. You don't have enough flesh, we'll shove some in. You got too much, we'll suck some out. <laughs> I mean, it's just a billion-dollar industry. The devil's got us chasing ourselves. We're like a dog chasing his tail. So it says, what is it? Wisdom. Understand what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to make you a smart aleck. Don't do that. Go serve somebody. Now, listen, we ought to take care of our health, but you quit working on your flesh. It's going back to dust. That flesh is going back to dust. Now, my Aunt Teed, she did. She did. She had so much surgery. She had so much plastic surgery. There wasn't a wrinkle in that woman's face. She was tight. She's still tight. She's still like casting. Still tight. <laughs> that was scary. Lord have mercy. <laughs> you know, full of wisdom, perfectly in charge. Watch this now. In charge of wealth. The whole world chasing money. If I need to get more money, if I need to get money. If I need some money, I'll be somebody. So people are stealing. Why? To prove they're somebody. You're trying to prove you're somebody with some cash. And then the fourth is my favorite one. Charge of music. Now, when I grew up, Music, oh man, well, dangerous. Because rock music was of the devil. Man, we'd take rock albums and crush them, and demons come screaming out of them, supposedly, you know. <laughs> I, said, I said, listen, I love all kinds of music. And one of the things I did do as a father, I took my kids to concerts constantly. Uh, man, we went to the symphony, we went to rock concerts, country music, bluegrass. 
I exposed my kids to every kind of music. I love music. I have two rules governing music in my house, two rules. Number one, can I whistle to it? <laughs> I'm not making this up. If I can't whistle to it, we're not listening to it. It has no harmony, no melody. It's confusion and of the devil. Okay? And I can whistle to some wild stuff. Number two, what do the words say? Because I shared Saturday. I remember when we were working at the plant and the great country gospel hymn came on, take this job and shove it, I ain't working here no more. And we would sing that song. I mean, everybody in the plant have five different country stations playing. Hey, it's on, turn the station. And so everybody, noisy plant, we'd turn, and all the guys in the plant would sing along, all three do, take this job, shove it, ain't working here no more. And we'd sing that, foreman would laugh and whatever, and three months later they shut our plant down. <laughs> Because you get what you sing. <laughs> Had dear friends of mine, uh, daughter going to Baylor University and uh, came home for Christmas break and had a friend she was going out with on the evening. He got messed up and she's having to drive him home, driving the guy's truck. Just a freak accident. About 11 o'clock at night, went off the side of the road, truck flipped. He didn't get a scratch, killed her. Six months before this happened, though, there's a those goofy country ballads, new singer who's in Nashville now, singing about dying, going to heaven. She loved that song, played it all the time, her mom said. And she would say, Mom, if I ever die, play that at my funeral. Well, you planning on your mother outliving you? I thought the Bible said, with long life would I satisfy and show you my salvation. Length of days is supposed to be in one hand. We trying to, you want to die early? Don't give the devil a place. He's looking for a weak spot. And they played that at her funeral. And everybody cried. It was the dumbest thing I ever saw. She's dead. You're playing some stupid hillbilly song about dying? You know? I said, I don't want to die early. I don't want to run all the way to the finish line and then stretch it another mile. <laughs> but what I want to show you in Ezekiel 28, Lucifer's not changed. We're not ignorant of his devices. There's nothing new under the sun. If I'm not wise, he's going to take me captive because he's real good at what he does. And I'll spend my whole life showing off, listening to stupid music, acting weird, dressing weird, trying to draw attention to myself because I have no clue who I am in him, in whom, and in Christ. So we want to grow in wisdom. So, man, you, I don't care if your children are 55, live halfway around the world. You can start tonight. Father, I want to thank you for my children. I repent of anything negative I've said over them. Start tonight, wherever they are, chase them down. I loose the fear of God over their soul. Send people across their path. Send labors across their path to teach them to fear you. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So if I have children not acting wise, not acting right, well, I'll teach them to fear you. I'll loose the fear of God over them. It would be a great prayer to pray. Now then, Jesus, second thing he did, I like this, and said Jesus grew in stature, grew in stature. Ephesians chapter 6, this is a great one, Ephesians 6. And this one can get controversial. I always have to watch what state I'm in. <laughs> I do, because I, I get challenged on this. I said, I'm just reading Scripture. So Ephesians chapter 6, this is the great one. And uh, verse 4, well, it was starting verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom. That means he had a vision for his life. He knew where he came from, 
where he's at and where he's going. My job is to see that my children are in the Word of God at a great local church hanging out with other believers, that you listen to good music. I want music playing all the time in my house, but it better be saying something good. I don't care if it's got rock to it. I can, I can, I can boogie with you. Come on, let's boogie. Uh, I don't care if it's bluegrass, but what are the words saying? Because you remember what you sing. When Moses crossed the Red Sea, Red sea God said, teach them this song that they might remember what I've done. You remember what you sing. I was blowing the grass one time, and all of a sudden, I just, and all of a sudden, I broke out into a great rendition of Help Me Rhonda. Help me Rhonda, help, help me Rhonda. Where'd that come from? Well, I sang it all the time when I was in school. I don't even know Rhonda. That's why the Bible says you're to sing to yourself in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Don't sing stupid. You're opening up some door to the devil. Sing something good. Now, people, now my wife, that's my wife. She does, this is a negative with our marriage because I sing all the time. I, I, my mother, my dad, sang all the time. Yeah, sing all the time. Music playing all the time. Sing all the time. So I sing constantly, and, and I make up my own words because I can't remember most of the words of the songs I like. So I just make up my own words, and I make up good words. I sing to myself, about myself, all the time. And kids just get to me, what are you doing? I'm singing to myself, making melody in my heart to the Lord. Woo, I'm the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Kumbaya. <laughs> Anyhow, Jesus grew in stature, Ephesians chapter 6. This, is, uh, this means self-discipline, if you want to look it up in the Greek. What's stature? He matured. Jesus matured. Jesus didn't know, he didn't need his mom and daddy telling him what to do all the time. Okay, he's learning, what's he going to do? I'm going to do what's right, because it's right to do what's right. He had no sin in him. What are you doing? I'm going to do what's right. Why? Because somebody's looking. I'm going to do what's right even when nobody's looking. I'm going to drive the speed limit because the law says I should drive the speed limit. I'm not going to get rebellion and put a radar detector on my dashboard. And nobody's going to tell me how fast to drive. I drive fast as I want to drive. <laughs> well, go ahead. Is the guy with the bubble in his car going to help you out? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 1, children, obey your parents. Ooh, have mercy. Because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Well, kumbaya. And I've had people, well, you don't know my mom and dad. No, it said to honor. It didn't say they were right all the time. I'm to honor the office. I'm not going to ridicule it, mock it, make fun of it. I'm going to honor that office. You believe everything you're doing? No, but I will honor that office. Ooh, have mercy. That was good right there. <laughs> says, I'm looking for a long life, things to go good. And then verse 4, here's the one I want. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, the King James says, or to anger here in the New Living. Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Uh, the King James says in the nurture and admonition, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, here's what he's saying. The word fathers is both mom and dad. Do not provoke your children to wrath. How do you do that? By being inconsistent. How do you avoid the wrath? By being consistent. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition. To nurture means rules, regulations, rewards, and punishments. And our admonition, it is verbal instruction with a view to correct. That's a little Greek. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to have some rules for my house. Don't get 50 rules. They can't remember 50 rules. Get three. I got three rules for my house. Don't get mine. Get your own. But I've had three rules in my children's entire life. Number one, 
No talking back to mom or dad. Number two, no fighting with your brothers and sisters. And I mean WWF fighting. Everybody has disagreements. I mean no knockdown, drag out. Number three, no telling a lie. Liars go to hell. Devil's a liar. Truth sets you free. So I had it on poster board for years. I had it on a big white poster board, wrote in black magic marker, and it is pinned to the ceiling above all their beds. So when my kids woke up, and the first thing they see are the three rules of my house. You go to the bathrooms of my house, it's laminated on the top left corner of every mirror right there. It's laminated on the front of the refrigerator and on the front of the dryer, and for three and a half years, it was laminated and duct taped underneath every toilet seat lid. You know what <laughs> I have covered everywhere you're going today. You are without excuse. I said, I only have three simple rules. I want you to enjoy life. I've tried to make my house like a state park. Now, we were going to Bible school, man. We were broke as dirt out. I mean, I was making good money as an engineer, had a new home, car. But, man, after Bible school, we were broke. And so we went to get a loan for a house, and pff, I couldn't even hardly buy a car with that amount of money. But we went and built a house. It was 1,400 square foot, two-story barn, had a silo on the side of it. That's where the stairwell was. I got the plans out of a magazine in a grocery store. Uh, didn't have any blueprints. I hired a guy. I said, can you build this house? He said, yeah. I said, well, I don't have a blueprint. Can't afford one. He said, yeah, I can do that. And so, okay, so I'm going to go get a construction loan. And I got one. And uh, we, ran, we needed, we needed 50000 but the first time I only got 35000 So we had to do some stuff ourselves. So uh, anyhow, we got it finished. Got a house. And so over the years, I've been living that place for 30 years uh, I got two Cracker Barrel porches, one off one end, one off the other. I got a swimming pool in the, in the backyard and a tennis court. My front yard's a tennis court. You go out, what is it? It's a tennis court. There's lights on it. Yeah. Where well, we poured concrete. We just dug it. It took weeks to level it out. And, and then we poured concrete, and I put two big goals on either end, basketball goals, and then we got nets and played tennis. Now, I don't own a lawnmower. I own two and a half acres. I do not own a lawnmower because there's no grass to be mowed. It's out in the country. It's on a hillside. They call it a mountain because Oki's in the a Mountain. It's just a ridge. But it's got huge boulders the size of your car, and we had copperheads and rattlesnakes, and we'd kill most of those off now. We had some guinea hens because they love to eat snakes. And so uh, I, I got bicycles, four-wheelers, got baseballs hanging from a tree. I got two outdoor fire pits and lots of wood. Kids come over. We can do hay rides and tractor rides, roast a marshmallow and have some singing. I, you can't see any of my neighbors. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm at the end of a mile and seven-tenths of dirt road. You come to my house, you're lost. You can't drive past my house. You have to come to it. And people said, what'd you do? So, well, I, I lived in a really packed, uh, poor community for years going to Bible school. Man, we had crime. I mean, the guy across the street, he'd get high on dope every Friday night, crawl out his bedroom window, knock the screen out. Every Saturday morning, almost every Saturday morning, at least in the summer, he'd be laying buck naked on his front yard with his pillow. So I'd have to get up early to make sure the kids didn't get up. Why? Well, my neighbor's going to be naked. I got to call the police and broken out. I got to come. He's out again. Okay, be right there. And they were just used to it. You know, I had a guy right next door that worked on race cars. He loved dirt track racing. So every night we get ready to go to bed. I mean, we're houses, you know, we're just that close. And so every night he'd work on his engine, his car. The guy on the other side, he loved that nasty rock stuff. Just like ants would crawl into the back door. I mean, like herds of ants, you know. Uh, my dog I had one time, he almost died because we have so many seed ticks in the backyard. He was just laying there stiff in the backyard. When I said, somebody shot my dog. And I went there, he's just shaking. I'm like, what's wrong with my dog? My dog, my, what's, dog, what's the matter with him? He was just stiff, shaking. And all of a sudden, I'm trying to rub it. And when I did, it's like, I mean, thousands of those tiny seed ticks. Just <laughs> <laughs> we saved him. 
so I wanted a nicer place. <laughs> so as, as rough as it was when we got it, it's just a giant barn. I said, what do you want? I want a place my kids feel safe coming home. Okay? And so I told my kids, listen, I want you to enjoy life. I said, you know who put that swimming pool in the backyard? Let's see. Who put that swimming pool back there? Let me think. Oh, that was me. Yeah, I did that. Okay, let's see. Now, who did the tennis court in the front yard? Who did that one? Let's see. Tennis court in front. That was me. Son of a gun. Let's see. Okay, who got, who got the four-wheeler? Let's see. Four-wheeler. Where did we get that at? Oh, that was me. Yep, that was me. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let's see. Who put braces on the crooked teeth God gave you? That was me. <laughs> and I would just go down a list and said, you got a lot of enemies. I'm not one of them. Next to God, I'm the biggest blessed of your life. I only want you to do three things. Three simple things. Don't talk back to us. Don't fight with your brothers and sisters. And don't lie. If you do, I'm going to bust you. It's legal in Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm not going to count to ten. I'm not going to warn you. Now, I used to warn. I don't do that anymore. I'll be like a stealth bomber coming down the hallway. You're not going to hear me till I lift you off the ground. Pow! I said, I want you to enjoy life. Just do these three things for me. Now, let me go through them. Don't talk back to mom or dad. They had a right to challenge me because I'm not perfect. I might make a stupid rule. I've made it before. I remember I made a new rule one time. I got mad. New rule! And I'm spitting it out. And, and Sarah said, Dad, if you make that rule, this, this, this is going to happen. Okay, dumb rule. Forget that rule. Forget that rule. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so I'm not perfect, okay? I'm not the head of my house because I took a test and got the highest score. I'm the head of my house because God said so. And so they had a right to challenge me. Here's what I want you to do. And you have a right. Well, Janet, can, how about this? And I said, well, you have a right to challenge me, but I have final say-so. I got final say-so. And number two, no fighting with your brothers and sisters. Now, certain things in our home are community property. Everybody has access to them. And you need to take turns. Now, some things you're going to have will be yours, and you don't have to let anybody touch it. You can be a thumb-sucking, selfish person the rest of your life. This is mine. Don't touch it. It's fine with me. I really don't care. You know, it's up to you. But community, we need to do that. I don't mind you disagreeing with one another. Nobody gets along all the time. But Matthew 18, 19, I want you to learn how to problem-solve early in life. I want you to learn how to confront, present your case, reason it out, get it settled. I don't want no knockdown, drag out, biting, bloodletting, busting noses, you know, rolling down the stairs, because if that happens, I'm going to go get my WWF uniform on. And I'm going to get in the middle of it. I'm going to do some pounding. Don't make me get in the middle of this. And so they did that really good, believe it or not. And I tell people, um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Then the third thing, no telling a lie, I said, you need to learn how to repent quick. Because lying, yeah. lying's going to put you in hell. There is no shortcut out of a lie. The hole you dug is the same one you got to back out of. And one lie will breed another one, breed another one, and the devil will come from hell, and your life will be so embarrassing that you won't be able to stand it. Don't lie. Repent quick. And so those things really kind of worked out. Now, for the kids, I tell them, so listen, my goal is for you to have a great life. You know? Now, I was real strict in the beginning. Uh, kids would ask about going somewhere. You know, Can we, we're going to do this this weekend. We go. And I said, nope, you can't. No. Why? You went somewhere last weekend. Not going anywhere this weekend. Now, there's no logic in that. It's just me. <laughs> and Denise said, why can't they go? They went somewhere last weekend. That's why. You ain't going somewhere every weekend. 
Why not? They've done everything you asked. They've got their grades. They've done their chores. The room's clean. Why can't they go? Because we went last weekend. Is there a scripture on that? <laughs> we need to talk. <laughs> and Denise would never let me go in private and talk to her. No, we're going to discuss in front of the kids. We've got nothing to hide. We talk right here. Oh, what do we do? We go somewhere every weekend. If you got your stuff done, why not? There's a day of rest every weekend. Even God's got one. God does something every weekend. Fine, you can go. You can go. Now, I would never let my kids spend the night with anybody. Uh, I just wouldn't. Um, well, one time. You can't spend the night with anybody. Now, the preset, it wasn't that I was against. I said, I, I, you will not be allowed to spend the night with anybody whose home I have not personally been in. I don't know who they are, what they read, what they watch, and what they listen to. Because I had to, Jessica, my second daughter, went to spend the two nights with a girl one time and in the beginning came home. And she came home half stupid. That rebellious spirit had jumped all over. I said, last time that's going to happen. i tell you that right now. So I realized I want to make my home a fun place, so I don't mind you bringing them to my house, spend the night. I don't want you going somewhere else. I, I want to control the environment, what you do, what you say, what you play, you know. But you have a big time, but we're, there's certain things we've got to control. So Jesus grew in wisdom. He had a vision for his life. Jesus grew in the stature, self-discipline. He did what's right because it's right to do what's right. And I try to tell my kids, you want to do what's right. Romans 13, verse 1 through 5 talks about authority. Matter of fact, let me just read something here to you because you need to understand people, you know, we hate policemen, we hate this. And I know there's been abuse, dear Lord, I mean, because they're all humans. But let me just read this because you're going to have to get this because right now classrooms in America, dear Lord, I don't know if I could stand to be a teacher. Now, I was for you. It's like, man, it's like you've got to have a taser gun or I don't know what all you've got to do. It's like it's just gotten ugly. Romans 13, let me read this just, just for the sake of this. Verse 1, Romans 13. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities for all authority comes from God. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. You go to any nation where the gospel is not preached, and you're going to go to hell. The fact that gospel is preached means we have laws. Whether you like it or not, uh, our governing system, judicial, legislative, executive, is based on Isaiah, prophet, priest, and king. Our founding fathers knew. We've got to have balances. We can't let one get too big for the britches, so we're going to have the other two watch one and balance this thing out so we don't have abuse. So that's the way the government set up. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Well, that's just sort of logical. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what is right, and they will honor you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You have to pray this by faith. Now, I grew up in the South. Now, that's real, real good, and that's real, real bad. We got some really good people, and we got some ignorant rednecks who love to do mean stuff, even if they got a badge on. So I remember, because we challenged this when I was in, I said, I ain't doing it right. I, you were stinking. No, no, no I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus. I'll walk with a shield of divine favor. You can't touch me. You can talk to me. You can threaten me. You can't touch me. So I'm going to pray for authority. I'm going to pray for you ignorant, thumb-sucking, hell-bound, mean, lying, no good, backstabbing, God bless you. I plead the blood of Jesus over your mind and conscience. You will do what's right. And I, I've been stopped by police before. Been stopped for going too fast. Been stopped for doing wrong. Been stopped when I wasn't doing anything wrong. Getting chewed on. So I just start praying in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus. I belong to you. 
I have divine favor in Jesus' name. And you can tell I've had twice where I've had them talking ugly and just finally just sort of mellowed out like, well, okay, well, uh, just, you know, okay, just checking. All right, have a good evening. Appreciate it. Thank you. And you've got to learn how to do that or because what you fear will come on you. I'm giving no place to the devil. I'm not afraid of any authority. I got favor. Daniel worked for a heathen king and ended up running his whole country. Joseph worked for a heathen king and ended up running his whole country. I want that kind of favor. I'm not afraid of you. I'll end up taking your job running your country. I got divine favor. I belong to Jesus Christ. You just got to get that in your deep. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, mm -mm -mm, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent by for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, you know, and it goes on and lists a whole bunch of stuff. But the whole thing is about authority. So I'll try to do that. Now, I like to think I was fair, but I've made judgments before that were wrong on my own kids. I've accused them wrongly, punished them wrongly before, and found out that I did. Like, it makes you feel really stupid, you know. Micah 6, 8, three things, O man of God, do I require of you. Number one, do justly. Number two, love mercy. Number three, walk humbly. Do justly. Now, I've learned this one the hard way. Because I had rules in my house. But I had to realize those rules do have some rubber band to them. I cannot ask a 5-year-old to do something only a 10-year-old can do. I cannot ask a 10-year-old to do something only a 15-year-old can do. Do justly. Okay? And you know what they are and are not capable of. That's why I said if Sarah brought a bee home, I'd ground her. If Jessica got a C or Cord got a C, we'd have cake and ice cream, throw a party, and rent some movies. <laughs> and, uh, because I knew they all had different abilities. So you, want to, you, you just want to make sure that you're fair. Do just love mercy. What's mercy? Um, I've got a list. I didn't bring it with me. Uh, the, the Methodist boys, um, their mother wrote a long list of 18 rules for the house. One thing is I punish no sin that is repented of quickly. In other words, if you get caught, what do you want to do? I want you to repent. I don't want to beat you. I don't make you feel bad. I don't want you to feel stupid. I want you to not do it again this will get you killed if you do it again. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to get you to stop it. So if it's repented of quickly, I'm going to let it go. So love mercy. What is it? God's mercy is new every morning. What is mercy? You don't deserve it. You know, blind Bartimaeus, man, he's blind as bad. He wasn't under the covenant. You know, Jesus came by. He didn't ask for healing. He needed eyeballs. He should have been screaming, eyeballs. Jesus, give us my eyeballs. But the, what we screamed was, mercy, son of David. Have mercy. Why? Because even as a heathen, he knows God's mercy is new every morning. Even heathens knew that. God's a merciful, forgiving God. So he screamed, mercy, son of David. And Jesus said, what can I do for you, old man? He said, need some eyeballs. He got his eyeballs back. But it wasn't eyeballs he asked for in the beginning. It was mercy. I don't deserve it. I'm not earned it. But if I ask it, you'll give it. And so I've taught my kids, you learn to repent quick. Did you go stupid? Sure you did. Humans go stupid every day. The righteous fall seven times a day, but they get back up. There are no perfect people, which brings us to number three. You better be humble. David lost two sons because he didn't know how to accept the forgiveness of God. Absalom came to him mad. He said, my brothers raped my sister. What are you going to do about it? David was grieved about it. What? My brothers raped my sister. What are you going to do? David did nothing. He did nothing. And Absalom's angry. Why won't you do anything? Well, because David feels guilty because he knows the whole country knows what he did with Bathsheba. I killed her husband. How can I judge this man for a sexual sin when I committed one that everybody knows? Well, because you repented of it. And you stand in a position of authority. So I've had my kids get stories from my mother. We know what you did. Yeah, and I repented of it. It's got nothing to do with what I'm about to do to you. 
clean before my Lord I stand. All right? And you've got to get to a place where you don't let them hold stuff over you. You've got to get set free, man. No, I'm here in a position of authority by God. Not based on my past life. Besides that, I've repented of it. It's on the blood of Jesus. We're talking about you, not what we did over there. So, anyhow, that's just a kind of a side thought about that. Just, so, do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly. Be humble because when I correct my kids, my kids know that I've not been perfect. But I stand in a position to execute this for your life. I'm not trying to make you feel stupid. I'm trying to see you don't get killed early. That's what discipline's for. Here's the last two. We'll do this real quick. Growing in, in, uh, in favor with God. I love this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. In fact, I'll just read it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. This is kind of like what we talked about a little bit last night about gifts and callings. Uh, everybody's gifted. You know, we, you know, when I was in school, we had gifted classes. You know, this is the gifted class. I said everybody's gifted. 1 Peter chapter 4. Oh, jump in here, verse 10. Now, again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others with all the strength and energy that God supplies? Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power be to him forever and ever. Now, I, I talked about this um, one thing that saved our school, saved my kids. I saw all of you are gifted. As everyone has received a gift, the King James says, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He is gifted speaking, speakers of the oracles of God. He is gifted serving, service ability God gives. Two classifications of gifts, speaking gifts, serving gifts. You go to St. Louis where they rate all the jobs in America, they classify on two categories, speaking and serving. Now they don't quote chapter and verse. Uh, for example, a frontline foreman working for General Motors, third shift in St. Louis, makes more money than an electrical engineer in America. You know why? Because he works with people. People who work with people make more money than people who work with things. Because people don't like working with people because they change. A thing doesn't change, you know? Car. There's my car, just like it was last night. Same car. I know what it does. A human, you married to somebody like, Dear God, what happened to you last night? You not sleep good? You know? <laughs> so, but God gifts us to do certain things. So I realize everybody's got a gift. And so I shared last night how we gave the three tests, our high school students. That's how we became the number one academic school. Well, I've done the same thing with my kids. Every year at vacation, they retake that test and discover your God-given gifts. And they're adults, you know, older two are in their 30s. We still do it to kind of reconfirm to see if anything's changed. What are you good at? You're good at this. This is what you're going to earn a living with. Quit trying to get a job. What you're not good at. And I, I mentioned, um, now I, I'm an exhorter and an administrator based on that test, Romans chapter 12. That's what I am. Uh, you do not want an exhorter as an air traffic controller. Because <laughs> exhorters don't like saying no to anybody. We want everybody to feel good. So if an exhorter's up there and 20 planes need to land, they're going to get really beside themselves. <laughs> Y'all just come on down and don't hit each other. Y'all just come on down. You don't want a perceiver as an air traffic controller. Perceiver, heaven, hell, right, wrong, yes, no, no, great. You cut yourself, bleed to death. You shouldn't have cut yourself. <laughs> but a perceiver can smell evil coming a mile away. They'll save your life. You need one as a friend. If a perceiver's in the tower, can you imagine? We've got 20 planes need to land, and a pilot comes on. Hello, this is Flight 474. We have an emergency. What's your emergency? We need to land. We're out of fuel. When did you get here? We just now arrived, but we're out of fuel. We got an emergency. 
Well, you're going to wait your turn. There's 20 planes in front of you. No, you understand we have emergency. I don't care what you got. I don't care if you fall out of the sky. You're not getting in front of the other 20. They came here first. <laughs> and there are people like that. You've dealt with them in business. You, it's like they don't care who you are, what you've been through. You don't understand. No, you don't understand. Who is that? Well, they may be going to hell, but they have the gift of perception. <laughs> And uh, it's just a frustrating deal. And so what you want is to make sure you're in your right workplace doing what you're gifted to do. You still have to deal with hell, but you shouldn't hate going to work. You, sh you should love going to work. So we get this with our kids to help them find out what they're good at. And I knew teacher, Sarah would be a teacher when she was young. I just, you could just tell. Now, uh, let me give you this one. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, Talks about working. Now, there's all kinds of scripture on work. He that doesn't work doesn't eat. So when you get a gift, um, nobody's going to come to you, by the way. Um, the righteous are as bold as the line, the wicked flee when no man pursues. If you need a job, you got to go get one. They don't, I, I've been there. What happened? Been laid off. I remember the first time I got laid off, I was driving into Olin Masson. I'd been working as a lab technician. Took me four years to get that job. Started off as, I wasn't even the janitor. I was pulling nails out of blocks, got promoted to janitor. And eventually worked my way up to lab technician. And uh, it's a miracle that I got that job. And so I pull into the plant one day, and the, and the guard at the thing, I noticed there were no cars in the parking lot. He, he's, he's got a stack of pink slips. There's cars behind me, and they're just circling around the guard shack coming back out. He's handing me a pink slip. I said, what is this? He said, you don't work here anymore. No, I work on the third floor. I'm a lab technician. No, you don't work anymore. They, they sold this plant to, in a company in Romania. I said, I don't want to go to Romania. He said, they're not taking you. They're taking the plant. And I realized I just lost my job. Well, as I pulled back out, there's a bunch of guys gathering at the gate. They already got a big 55-gallon drum, and wood is burning in it. They're bringing posters, and we're making signs, and we're going to protest. I'm not sure who we're protesting, but I got me a sign. Oh, I need my job. What, we're trying to find what I will. So why did they sell it? Who sold it? Why did they sell it? What's going on? And so we're sitting with our sign, and I stood there about 30 minutes with them, just kind of grappling and thumb-sucking about, well, dear God, what are we going to do? What am I going to, how am I going to, where's my paycheck? What, what, I got to pay rent. And I'm just sitting there, and it took about 30 minutes to realize there's no future in this. <laughs> so I stuck my sign in the barrel. And, and I'm driving home, and I'm going to go home and tell my wife I've been laid off. Now, I was working day shift because I got there early in the morning, 7 o'clock, worked 7 to 3, and I'm driving back home. It's like, I'm thinking, man, Denise is going to have three cows and a duck. This is not going to be good. Like, lost my job. I don't have a job. And so I'm just seeing what I'm going to tell her. What happened? Well, I don't know. I lost my job. They closed the place down. And I'm realizing this isn't going to go good. And so I got within two miles of the house, and I turned around, and I said, i got to go downtown. And so I'm looking for the employment office. I heard there was one. I'd never been there. So I'm asking policemen, hey, where's the unemployment office, you know? And that's when I went in, and I said, well, I need a job, you know? I said, well, you know, you need to take a test. And I said, no, I don't want a test. I want a job. i got to go home and tell my wife I need a job. And so it's when they came out third minutes later, so based on your test, you look for a job in one of these three areas. And they set me up interviews for eight companies that week. So I went home, got home by 11 o'clock, and they said, what are you doing here? We well, don't believe what happened. <laughs> they shut our plant down. <laughs> they shut her down, going to Romania. And we're not going. We're staying here. <laughs> I said, and Denise, you can tell it's starting to hit her like, oh, my God. I said, but don't worry. I went to the unemployment office and took a test, and they've got me eight job interviews lined up for the week. Oh, okay. Well, sit down. I'll fix your sandwich. <laughs> and she wasn't worried because I had a plan. See, I'm going to go back and say, a woman's a help me. 
Now, a woman doesn't care what a man's vision is. She doesn't care if our vision is to dig a ditch to China. What are you called to do, honey? I'm called to dig a ditch to China. Well, praise God. Let's get a shovel and get after it. <laughs> Women don't care what we're called to do. They don't care. What they hate is when we're not doing nothing. It'll drive them insane. They don't like that. So anyhow, <laughs> growing in faith with God, everybody's gifted. So let's go back and just kind of do this. And I'm going to close with this. And Jesus grew in wisdom. Kind of wisdom. We're going to, I got a vision for my life. Stature, what is it? I need to get self-discipline. I need to start doing right because it's right to do right, not because my boss is looking at me or the policeman's following me. I need to do right. God rewards righteousness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, that's just so good. Number three, I've got a gift. I need to find out what it is. And here's the last one. I love this one. Jesus grew in favor with man. Who have mercy. Now, there are more scriptures in the Bible on this one than any other one. Favor with man is friendship. God said, Joe, how you doing? I'm doing good, God. Well, I got a plan for your life. I got a vision. I'm good. Now I need you to kind of, kind of get a hang on, hang on to your flesh, not let it do nothing stupid. Got to get discipline, getting the word in you. I want you to know you're gifted to do something great, and you're gifted to serve your fellow man. Your gift is going to serve. You need to know how to get along with your fellow man, both your friends and your enemies. Ooh, that's good. Now watch this. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Proverbs thirteen twenty. You want to be wise? Walk with wise men. You want to be wise, you're going to walk with wise. Now listen, I'm going to kind of give you this right here. Fools are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You understand all that fool stuff again? As iron strikes iron. When iron strikes iron, I mentioned sparks fly. I need somebody that loves me enough to tell me the truth to cut away the stuff in my life that's not productive in my life. And that's what a spouse is. A spouse is a gift from God to reveal character flaws in your life, not suck the lips off your face. Now I love the lip-sucking thing going on. I do. But the purpose of that wife is to tell me the truth. Yeah. Joe, you're acting kind of stupid. I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> at least I used to fight and yell. Oh, my goodness, we'd holler at each other. Uh, it, it was not good. And I've been going to the men's Bible study, and I'm trying to get better, and I'm trying to learn. And so we just had a whole Saturday with the men's fellowship, and I learned a lot of scriptures about treating your wife better and how a friend really acts and so forth, about controlling my mouth. So anyway, I got home that night. Of course, you know how to just get the word in. The devil's coming immediately. And so I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to be a better husband. I've made some commitments, prayed a prayer, Shonda. I get home, and I hadn't been home five minutes. And I'm in the kitchen, and I did say something kind of stupid. <laughs> I mean, it really wasn't that bad, but I, I just, I, was, I'm, I know the script. I'm just not applying it yet. And Denise turned around and verbally assaulted me. I mean, like something from hell. Woo! I mean, just peel my ears back. And most of the time in our marriage, I never had a comeback. It wouldn't show up for about two minutes. I'd be in another room. Oh, I should have said that. I should have said that. Why didn't I think of that then? It's like she could think faster than me. And, uh, and so... Anyhow, she unleashed on me, and I deserved it. I mean, it was, and for the first time, I got a comeback. And I, this has got to be God. It's got to be the Holy Ghost. I got something to say, and it's biblical. <laughs> Let her out. Let her out. Ping pong. Whoop all. You know. And, but I'm trying to remember the scriptures I've heard all day. No, no, slow to speak. You know, <laughs> quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. You know, it's like, oh. So I just. I just froze. I don't, I'm sure I look like something wacky. She's just staring. She's just unleashed it, and I'm just staring. I can't even think. It's like my head, it's thoughts are bouncing like ping pong balls on a concrete floor. And it's like, don't let them out. Don't let them out. Don't let them out. And all of a sudden, I just took a deep breath. You're right. 
You're right. I am the north end of a southbound mule. I'll be honest with you. I got a lot of friends in my life, and, and, and nobody's ever had the hair on their lip to tell me that. I said, you must really love me, because even my best friends know me told me that. I really appreciate you sharing that, babe. I, I didn't know how much you loved me. I know how much you love me now. But you check. Come here and hug me just a minute. Of course he didn't. <laughs> it was a couple of days before she hugged me. But we began a process of learning how to talk to one another. And I all the scriptures, and we'll get into some of them tomorrow night to be real good about, about friends and relationships because they work in your job, with your neighbors, with your in-laws. I'm going to learn how to be a blessing in your life. I'm going to leave everybody better than I found them. Jesus left everybody better than he found them. What are you going to do? I'm going to leave you better. Now, I'm out of time, so let me just throw this here for about two minutes for those who have teenagers about dating. I'm real big on dating. Uh, dating's an incredible thing. It's great. God intended men and women to find somebody of the opposite sex eventually. Most of them. Not everybody, but some. You know, so if you're going to do that, might want to have a plan because evidently most of us aren't doing it right. 50% divorce rate, something's going on. So I used to teach my kids, especially because I had five daughters before I had my son. So here, here it is. This is, thus saith Joe McGee, not thus saith the Lord in closing. So for my girls, I had, we had some rules for dating. I said, number one, you can't date at all until you're 16. There are no dates until you're 16, none. Your first five dates when you start dating will be at my house with the family, okay? When you do go out on a date, you will have to double date with a pre-written agenda of where you're going to be, and you must be home by 11.30. I want to know where you're going to be and what time you're going to be. If you say you're going to be at Mazio's at 9 o'clock, I want Mazio's phone number. If I call Mazio's at 9.05, you better answer that phone, or you're not going back out. Now, the reason I did that is because most, when I dated, there were no rules. You just honked your horn, girl come running out, you know? And so I thought, I'm going to have to elevate the value of my daughters. Now, I believe my daughters are real pretty. Took after the mother, thank God. And so I realized when the guy shows up, you know, he's all cleaned up, driving his daddy's car, his mama's washed his underwear, daddy's put some money in his pocket, he's wearing his brute cologne, he's looking cool. Well, see, you're about to date one of mine. And this is a special gift. And you've not earned the right to date this. I'm about to elevate the value. You're going to have to want to date this really bad. And so I set up rules. You want to date? I told my girl, somebody asked you out on a date? The answer is yes. Hey, can you want, to go out? you want to go out Friday night? To keep them protected without having to embarrass and lie. No, I can't. I'm really busy for the next three years. I can't go out with you. <laughs> so what I did to protect them, because sometimes people ask you out, and you don't want to go. And you can't lie. No, I don't like you. You're kind of skanky, and you smell bad, and, you know, I don't know. You're sort of weird, and I don't want to go with you. So don't ask me again. You understand? So I'm trying to protect them. So I said, if anybody asks you, yes, I, I, I am available Friday night. If you are, you got to don't lie. But uh, all my dates are screened through my parents. You'll have to call one of them. So here's, here's the home phone number. You call my mom and my dad and get permission from them because they have to give permission for me to go out. You kidding? No, no. And so uh, now the girls will come home. Dad, I don't want to go out and protect me. All right. And I've had guys call before. Hello, Mr. Gee, this is Billy Bob, and uh, I want to ask permission to take uh, Jessica on, uh, on Friday night. I said, no. Are you there, Mr. McGee? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm right here. <laughs> Was there some reason why? No. Now, I did, I've sinned before. I got gum flapping, trying to make it feel good. This is my kids. We had them, birthed them, bathed them, burped them, wiped them, trained them, 
paid for them. You have no right here, not a none. You're not even on the radar. It's going to cost you to get this. And so I just said, no. You know, and I said, I'm real nice, but no. Mm -mm. I have no reason. Is there a reason? No. No, I just don't want to go out with you. And I protected my daughters, and I didn't have to do it often, but from time to time. But then they'd come in, Dad, I want to go out. I want to go out. This is incredible guy. I want to go out. All right. All right. And so I had this one kid come to the house. He was a real nice kid. And I shared this with the weekend. Yeah, the kid came in, and so if they want to go out, I said, I need to see you for 30 minutes before Friday night, okay? I said, yes, you can go out, but I need to see you before Friday night for about 30 minutes. I can meet you after school, meet you at the gym, meet you after church Wednesday night, or you can come to the house. I really don't care. I just need to see you for 30 minutes. So this kid came to the house. Great kid. I still like him. He's married to somebody else, but he's a great kid. So he came to the house, and nice red-headed kid, and he's sitting there, and we're having some apple pie and drinking some coffee, sitting there at the kitchen. And so I said, uh, and so where's this sort of gum flapping? He's not quite sure what we're doing here. I'm looking for the answer to one question. One question. 30 minutes, I'm looking for the answer. One question. So son, tell me something. What do you see yourself doing five years from now? And here's the answer that he gave me. He was a senior in high school. Well, I'm going to get me a job at the new McDonald's down here in Bixby. They were opening up. I'm going to get me a new Ford F-150 pickup. I'm going to get me a Beretta 300 shotgun and a new hunting dog. Now, I'm shortening it up, but that was the essence of his five-year plan. Now, he's been very sincere and very polite. I really like this kid, but I just reached over and I cut a piece of apple pie and I slid it in his plate. Oh, son, you need to eat another piece of apple pie because that's all you're going to get at this house. <laughs> because I have spent 16 years training up my child to go somewhere and eventually be a helpmeet to somebody going somewhere. And I'm fully confident with a five-year plan you currently have, you can get there all by yourself. <laughs> now, you can laugh. I'm very serious. That's what I told him. I said, I really like you, but you, you need to get a bigger plan and come back. And he was just, he, you know, he was real polite. You can tell he was hurt. And so, of course, the kids got a reputation at school because I was the principal of the school as well, and everybody knew. And so my girls, they'd train them. You better walk holy and say the right thing. You know, like, and so... But then when they would, they come to the house, so they're going to have five dates at my house. We're going to hang out together. You're going to help. We're going to shoot some hoops out front, swim in the pool, ride the four-wheeler. You're going to wash some dishes. You're going to help me clean the grill. You're going to mow that back lot down there, get the tractor, go mow that back acre down there. I'm going to put you to work because it's easy to look cool when you're on a date. Hey, hey. Let's put you under, under some pressure. Of course, I'd bring Sarah's boyfriend there, and Jessica was an all-state basketball player. You get on the court, Jessica would thump them. And they'd get mad because they're really embarrassing. Yeah, she's good, isn't she? <laughs> and so I want to see him under pressure, and I want him to get to know us. That way, when you're out on a date looking into my second or third daughter's beautiful blue eyes, when you're staring into my daughter's face, I want you to see me. <laughs> I want to be present in that car everywhere you go. Because you're not, we are, we're a family. We're together. Don't think you can go do anything you want, say anything you want. This is a different deal. But what I did, I elevated the standard. And, buddy, the boys at school knew it. Man, you Dave McGee girl, you better have your stuff together. You better do right and say right, buddy. He won't let you near him. And it was just true. And I wasn't arrogant. I just had been through stupid. I used to be young. What were you when you were young? Stupid. I don't want to duplicate stupid. We're going to have a different standard. So we go through the process. And then here's, here's the ultimate deal. I said, you can't date one-on-one -on -one until you get your high school diploma in your hand. You get your high school diploma in your hand, then you can date one-on-one -on -one with the, still the same rules. You're going to come in and visit with me the five times. We'll know where you're going. So even in college, I'd have, I remember Tessa when she met her husband, Mark. You know, she called, Dad, I want you to, we've got a guy I really like. He said, okay, well, we can't be there for two weeks, and we'll go eat lunch together, and I'll meet him, and we'll set this up. And so sure enough, he came in, and I met him. And uh, she, she was smart. 
Because when Mark came in to meet me, he had on a tie-dye shirt, bell-bottom jeans, and flip-flops. He's coming to meet a potential father-in-law. Now, first I thought, you skanky doofus. <laughs> and he sat down, and he's smiling, just being himself. And after five minutes, I thought, I like you. You got hair on your lip. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're just being who you are. I like that. And then a year later, he's coming out of the house for a week. Tess is going to bring him out so he can meet us, meet all the family, and hang out. So I told Denise, I like this kid, but not that much. He's not marrying Tessa. This ain't going to happen, okay? We're going to bring him out. We'll spend money, take him places, have a good time. You say him. <laughs> I'm not making it so serious. Well, we brought him out by Wednesday. I laid down in bed Wednesday night. I said, dead coming. Dead coming. I like him. Son of a gun. <laughs> and so they're married now. Anyhow. I got mad because uh, springtime would come to school. I'm so sorry. Just hang with me. Springtime would come to school, and I'd catch my seniors and juniors and sophomores. I'd walk around a corner in the hallway, and they'd be lip lock up against the hallway, sucking their lips off each other's faces. Quit that. You're not supposed to do that in school. No kissing in school. You know that. So we had some rules. So finally, I got mad. Just a few weeks of school left. I lost it. I just lost my temper, and I called a big school meeting, you know, 8th through 12th grade. Get in here. I said, new rule, okay? New rule in school. No dating, no hand-holding, no kissing. I catch you doing it, I'm going to expel you. You understand that? No more touching. I'll expel you. And so kids are raising their hand. Well, you're kidding. No. And so anyhow, <laughs> I went home, told my wife, boy, I did something really stupid today. There's no way I can enforce it. I just made a real idiot out of myself. So I'm teaching history class on Wednesday. I'm sitting there, and there's two sophomores in the front row, and I knew them. And I knew they were sweet on each other. I know their family. She's got his ring on, which is just a skanky little nothing thing, you know, hanging around her neck. He's got his ring, you know, her ring around his neck. And I, listen, I thought, you in love. Mm -hmm. So I just stopped, and I'm still mad over some stuff going on with some kids, and we've had a couple of girls get pregnant and some stuff. I said, I'm trying to help this. Now, good kids. You understand? Good kids. Like, what happened? Well, you got buck naked when you weren't supposed to. <laughs> You know, Dr. James Dobson says there's 12 steps to sexual intercourse. You know, first you're looking at each other, then you're holding hands and hands around the waist, then you're kissing, then you're kissing like the French, then you're kissing like the Polish, kissing like the Germans. You can do a whole world tour, come back to America. <laughs> I said, God designed the human body that once you start that thing, you can't put it out. And I've had them cry, oh, we, we couldn't stop. We, we just couldn't stop. I said, Revelation, you weren't supposed to stop. God designed it once you start it to finish it, not frustrate you. You weren't supposed to start it. And people get a revelation. What? Don't start. Because if you start it, the fling is it. It's a God thing. You're fighting God. God designed a man and woman to get buck naked and have sex once they're married. You're doing something. You're not married yet. Don't like that flame because it's going to cost you. So anyhow, he says to kids, I said, you two stand up. Now, I shouldn't have done it. It was wrong. I said, you two stand up. And everybody's looking. I said, you two in love, aren't you? And they're kind of muttering something. I said, what would you say? I said, you two in love, officer, aren't you? I said, you got rings. You in love? And she, she, she got mouthed. Yes, we are. I said, really? Like love, love, the real love? She says, yeah. She said, and then she said something else. Man, now, he's just looking. He's mad because I'm messing with his woman. And all the other buddies are looking at him. He's cocking that shoulder back. Like, you better not miss me, old man. I said, real love? She said, that's right, real love. Matter of fact, when we get out of high school, we're getting married. And when she said it, his eyes went. Like, that was a revelation. And all of a sudden, 
kids in the back, whoa, hook them, hook them. <laughs> I said, really? Well, I'm really impressed because, you know, love, that's an incredible deal. I mean, getting married, that's the second most important thing outside of getting saved. I said, uh, I said you know, and I'm just looking, I said, let me explain something. If I gave you two, the four letters that go in the word love, you two together couldn't put them in the right order. Well, now kids got mad at me. And you, I'm hearing noises and their stuff, and kids are like, you better quit that. All right, everybody calm down. Just calm down. i tell you what, you two sit down. So what I'm going to do tomorrow here, when we come back to school tomorrow, I'm going to go down here to the library, and I'm going to get the National Geographic film of the mating ritual of the American Bald Eagle. And we're going to watch it in chapel tomorrow. I love the Bald Eagle. We got them here in Oklahoma. The female Bald Eagle is twice as big as the male. God did that on purpose. She is a majestic bird. Now, we're going to watch it. Now, it's National Geographic, and there's going to be a lot of music, so, but I'm going to explain what it is you're going to see. When the film opens up tomorrow, there's going to be a female eagle, sunrise, majestic, up in the air. All of a sudden, you're going to see a smaller bird. That's a male eagle. We're going to call her Ernestine. We're going to call him Ernie. Ernie sees Ernestine, and he's going to come squawking up through there, coming right in behind her. You're going to see his head cocking back. Oh, what he's saying, I'm going to give the eagle ear. Ooh, Ernestine, what a woman. Ooh, what a woman, Ernestine. And Ernestine's going to look back at him. Now I'm putting the words in there, but it's on the film. <laughs> Ernestine looks back. She sees she's making a move. All of a sudden, she'll peel over, and she's coming down to the ground. He's right behind her. She comes down to the ground. She picks up a stick. She goes up somewhere between eight and 10,000 feet. He's right behind her. What a woman, Ernestine. And she'll get up about eight or 10,000 feet and she'll start a figure eight. She'll spread those eight. Faster and faster. And finally, she'll hit her maximum speed. She'll let go of that stick. Well, being the gentleman he is, he's trying to impress her. He'll die for it. I'm not making this up. You can rent this film. That male peels those wings back and he's like a dive bomber. Grabs that stick. Brings it back to her, but she won't take it. She goes back to the ground. She gets a bigger stick. Goes up about five or 6,000 feet. Starts another figure eight. <laughs> He's right behind. You can see his mouth. Whoa, Ernestine, what a woman. Whoa, what a woman, Ernestine. <laughs> Finally, she hits her maximum speed. She drops that stick. He dies, grabs it, <laughs> brings it back. They repeat this about five times. Finally, she'll go down, and in the film, she goes down to the riverbank, and she gets what looks to be about a four-by-four-by-eight-foot post. Big log. She is flat stern to death. <laughs> Goes up about 500 feet. She's laboring. Starts a figure eight. <laughs> He's beside himself. Oh, what a woman. Oh, what a woman. All of a sudden, when she hits about her max of speed, she'll let go of that log. Now, Nasty Graham did a great job because some of these males, they'll die for it. Sink their, sink their talons into that thing. Of course, they're, they're like a sparrow that's on some kind of drug. <laughs> and they can't slow it down, and it shows two males die trying to stop that log. Just hit the riverbank, <laughs> break their neck, <laughs> hit the water, dead. Some of them, when they realize that they can't stop it, <laughs> dear God, let go, this woman ain't worth it. If he will not stop that log and he won't die with it and he'll peels off and he goes away, she'll chase him down, and she can. And she'll come in from behind right over on top of him. Sink her talons in the top of his two wings. Put her beak on the back of his neck. Pop, she'll snap it and kill him. 
We call that in nature a bad date. <laughs> but if he can stop that log, I mean, he has got to be sold out because she's twice a... <laughs> she'll signal to him to let go of it and she will mate with him for life. Now, the reason is, is this. Come next spring, when she's sitting high on that nest, snow slapping her in the face, she needs to know before, not after, that he's capable of bringing home the bacon that morning. Because his job is to provide. I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how fast you fly. Can you take care of me? Because that's your job. Even nature teaches you that. So I used to collect the editorial section of the Tulsa World every day for my seniors. I make them cut out the editorial section. Who, got, who was born, who got arrested, who died, who got caught drunk driving. It's in the editorial section. They cut it out and put it in a scrapbook. During the first week, I said, let's count. Let's count. Five hospitals in Tulsa. How many babies were born in Tulsa this last week? And they'd give me a number. Okay, how many boy babies were there? How many girl babies were there? And they'd give me a number. And they're sitting in class. Okay, how many times is there a baby's name listed a mama's name listed, but there's no daddy's name listed. We found out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we still have the same rate. 33% of the time, there is no daddy's name listed. I said, well, where's daddy at? Well, there is no daddy. Well, you've had biology. There's a daddy. Where's daddy at this morning? We don't know. I can tell you. He's home with his mama eating Cheerios. His mama's washing his underwear, and after a while, he's going to play a little basketball with boys. Uh, Jennifer's not going to make it today because the price that girls pay is much higher than the price that boys pay. But I guarantee you, they went out on a date and that boy put them up. Hey, Jennifer, I love you. I love you a lot. <laughs> Love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. It's not how you feel, it's what you do. If he's not willing to die for you, he ain't worth marrying. You've got to start setting the standard. God's got somebody great for you. Don't sell out short and early. Okay? Don't sell out short and early. So let's stand up. We're going to pray. You learn anything tonight? Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor of God, and favor of the man. That's what I want my children to do. I want my kids to leave home with a vision. Where are you going to get that vision? The Word of God, who you are in Christ, in Him, and in whom. You know? Jesus got self-discipline. I tell my kids, the sooner you start doing what's right, the sooner adults will get out of your face. You know why somebody's in your face all the time? Because you won't do what's right. Romans 13, God will give an adult to tell you what to do until you learn what to do on your own. Number three, you're all gifted. Maybe you're not gifted to sing, dance, twirl, or play baseball. But you have a gift or God lied to your gift. We'll make room for you and bring you before kings. And the greatest thing in your life is going to be good friends. You won't have one. You know how to be one. And if the devil's going to try to take you out, he's not going to show up as a demon. He's going to show up smelling good, talking good, and looking good. He's an angel of light. Don't bite into that. Amen. Father, I thank you for all the families represented here tonight, their children, their grandchildren, their stepchildren, and foster children. Again, I pray, Father, teach these families to fear you, for the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and with that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Praise God, Pastor. Amen.